Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Season 2, Episode 11, Ted. Teddy. Teddy Bear. Teddy Ruxpin. Not to be confused with the Seth MacFarlane movie about a teddy bear. <laughs> oh, I, that's what I watched. <laughs> what did you watch? <laughs> well, Steph. Oh, dear. Um, so, how did you feel about this episode? Um, you know, it was such a break. It was a step away from the stuff we've been building toward. I feel like we were getting really, really good with consistently getting better and better kind of episodes. The Dark Age was kind of a callback to season one caliber of episodes. But then we had What's My Line Part 1 and 2, which you and I, you know, talked the shit out of because we had such a good time watching those episodes. Then it got to this one and I just felt like it was a step, not back, but a step to the side. Okay, I like how you described that. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah, So, but you... I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here because I feel like a lot of people are going to say this is not a great episode. Mm -hmm. And I want to make the argument, as we discussed, Ted, that this is actually a much better episode than it tends to get credit for. I'm not going to argue it's like one of the best episodes because season two has some incredibly strong episodes, including the What's My Line two-parter and a few more that are yet to come. Mm -hmm. But as far as the more encapsulated standalone episodes go in this season, you know, like you said, it's a step to the side because we don't really deal with any of the overarching story arcs. There's no Spike. There's no Drusilla in this episode. Uh, Angel is barely in it. I'm sorry, Steph. I know. But for all of those absences of things, this isn't a fluff episode. It's not a filler episode. I think that the writers are trying to do something quite interesting with Buffy's character. So that's what I'm going to focus on as we unpack things. Uh, I will add just one more thing. I do think that once you know the twist in this episode, the episode loses some of its power. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, lots going on with Buffy in this episode for sure. So... Let's get into it. We start off, Buffy, Willow, and Xander are walking to Buffy's house at nighttime, and Buffy's daydreaming behind them, and she again says that she loves it when things are quiet, and Xander says, with Spike and Drusilla out of the way, we've really been riding the mellow, and again, you guys, stop jinxing yourselves. <laughs> like, Kara, you've said many times in the past, whenever they say something like this, something's about to happen, and even Xander actually says he's jinxing it by saying that because I think they're they're catching on to this trend as well. They remind us about the Order of Taraka assassins that they were a thing in the past couple weeks and Angel had said that the contract is off. 
Spike, you should have paid ahead of time, like... <laughs> yeah, and also hired better assassins. <laughs> but uh, Xander asks Buffy how Angel is, which is very surprising, and so surprising that everybody <laughs> looks at him, <laughs> and he says, well, pretend I care. And Buffy's been playing nursemaid to him, I guess, uh, because don't forget he was very hurt by his sexual torture from Drusilla in the previous episode. So quick question. Do we think Angel's maybe playing up how hurt he is to get a little bit more attention from Buffy? <laughs> I I mean, it's possible. I personally don't think so. I don't. <laughs> Angel's a hero and he would never fake his injuries. <laughs> but um, interesting enough that Xander is appearing, like appearing, I'm not saying he is, I'm saying he's appearing to be less jealous lately just in the very fact that he asks how Angel is. It's because he's getting some on the side, Steph. He's no longer a completely frustrated teenage boy. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, a part of me is kind of like, does this mean that Xander's, you know, hold, his obsessive hold on Buffy is starting to release? That's a good question. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we it. can say that for sure. Right, but it, it would appear just in that very simple question of asking about Buffy and her love interest. It's a, it's a, it's a little step, I think. Sure. It, and, it, and I will say that, you know, in the last couple episodes, in this one too, to some degree, Xander's a little less annoying. And I think it has to do with the fact that his focus is changing. It's shifting. So the writers are finally hearing all of our bitching. <laughs> Buffy gets to the front door and it's open. <gasps> So she tells Willow and Xander to wait outside while she goes and investigates. And as she goes in, they hear a glass break and we hear Joyce, who is Buffy's mom, say no. And Buffy rushes into the kitchen and that's where she finds Joyce making out with John Ritter. <gasps> and I know. And they broke a glass because they were embracing so passionately. Uh, and she says, oh, Buffy, this is Ted. Cut to credits. <laughs> Okay, so first off, for the yeah. benefit of our listeners who maybe weren't born when this episode was first airing, who's John Ritter? He is a television star, uh, and he's a little bit old for perhaps you and I, yes. but he was in Three's Company. Mm -hmm. I think that's the television show he was in, and <laughs> please don't come for me if I'm wrong. It's just that I never watched him on TV. No, you're right. Yeah, he... He was the star of Three's Company, which was a sitcom about yeah. a young man living with two female roommates. And so, of course, <gasps> shocking, right? In the 80s, like a man living with two women that he's not related to or involved with one of them. Uh, and one of the ongoing plot lines was he would pretend to be gay when the superintendent came around to kind of like make sure there was no like suspicion that there was hanky panky going on i don't know it's sitcoms are a weird bastion of conservatism but anyway so oh. he, this is an example of what we call stunt casting right where this is a very well-known tv star yeah. and he's especially well known as a comedian his appearance in the episode is kind of a signal that this episode might have more comedic elements of course as we go on to find out right that's not really the case here so this yeah. is a good example of how you can use stunt casting to subvert the audience's expectations by taking somebody who's well known for comedy for example and then casting them in a more dramatic or darker role 
I love that you described what Three's Company is about because I had no idea that was the plot of that show. I'd heard the title many times, but I never bothered to like watch an episode or know what it was about. So that I, I'm actually intrigued. I would like to watch that show now. But apparently John Ritter was a lovely man and a great actor. And a, he's he died in like 2003. I remember his death very clearly. Yeah, he died just a couple of years after this episode came out. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to point out here is... In What's My Line, we just had Xander and Cordy kiss. Um, mm-hmm. So potentially they're pairing off. We had Oz and Willow moving towards potentially starting a relationship. Now we have Joyce and Ted. Everybody, and we previously we had Giles and Jenny, and they've hit a rough patch, and we'll talk about them in a bit. But, mm-hmm. you know, everybody in Buffy's life is pairing off in, in some kind of way, right? So I think it's very interesting how that part of this episode slots into what's going on yeah love is in the air uh ted is making pizzas with xander and willow while buffy speaks to her mother in the backyard apparently joyce has been working late at the gallery a lot lately we just thought she was getting stoned but apparently (laughs) she's been making out no, she's been making out with Ted. Okay, but um, she has been absent lately. We haven't seen Joyce in, I can't remember mm-hmm. when, like Inca Mummy Girl. Was that the last time? So she was gone at Halloween. She was on a trip during What's My Line. So like, was she with Ted all this time? Maybe. Could be. Could be, right? So Joyce says that she was waiting for the right time to introduce them. And he's a wonderful man. And Buffy looks salty and asks how they met. And he sells computer software and was hired at her gallery. And she said Buffy was not supposed to see them kissing, obviously. Yes. How dare you find out your mother is a sexual being? I mean, <laughs> the, it's, it's the next shocking. thing you know, you're going to be asking her how sex works, right? Like... You can't have your kids know that you got pregnant one time. Yeah, it's true. And also like Buffy, you're going to have to know that your mother knows how to have sex with Ted because you're going to go to her to ask how you're going to have sex with Angel is, oh my is in my mind. So so get okay with this, Buffy, quick. Willow <laughs> is in the kitchen asking Ted, uh, they're speaking, they're doing computer talk together. And he says he can get her free software upgrades. No, no, no free hardware upgrades. It's much spicier stuff. <laughs> uh, much spice. I mean, even now, a free hardware upgrade is way better than a free software upgrade, right? But okay. it bad. is, it's especially funny, just the lingo that they use. Um, it's incredibly dated right willow's like yeah like i've got a nine gig hard drive i mean i remember having a a hard drive in the single single gigabyte digits Yeah, yeah right and it's like nowadays we have like terabyte hard drives which is like a thousand gigabytes so it's just so funny (laughs) to see and later on when we visit ted's work we kind of see some current computers and stuff so just like with season one episode eight praise moloch praise moloch um, uh, it's it's just always fun when we see the contemporary technology. It's cute how into this conversation Willow is, and uh, like she She's like squeals. So yeah. yeah, she like squeals, and Xander says that's her geeker joy. <laughs> yeah. And then Xander is complimenting Ted on the pizzas that he made, and Ted's explaining how he made them. He used a cast iron skillet, and it's like a specialty of his. And it's very clear that so far, from what we could tell, Ted is making a very great impression on Buffy's friends. And I think in a normal circumstance, like if this was he- Seventh Heaven <laughs> or uh, Gilmore Girls or some like, you know, less horror genre TV show, this is a really great start 
to a relationship, right? Well, they're definitely playing with the time-honored tropes of, you know, teenage, especially teenage girl, is resentful of this new guy coming into her mother's life, but he seems like a really nice guy. All her friends can see that he's really a a nice guy, and she's Mm -hmm. the lone holdout because, you know, she's not well disposed to him because he's like replacing her father yes um yeah and he's gonna have to win her over gradually right and in any other so. circumstance I, like yeah that's an episode that we would all be watching but this is the Hellmouth. so <laughs> when buffy and his, her mom comes in ted offers some pizza to buffy who doesn't eat it and he apologizes and says that wasn't supposed to be the way that we met uh he's very fond of her mother that means you're important to me too and Joy says, um, I want you to be okay with this. And Ted's like, we want you to be okay with this. And Buffy says, I'm okay. And it's like, you are? And she's like, I am. Lies. (laughs) Lies. And I am not well disposed to Ted at this point because he's trying too hard. Yeah. Like, who whines and dines and charms people this much? You're laying it on way too thick, Ted. Let her hate you for a bit. Just don't try so hard. Well, I'm on two sides because on one side, I think he's doing a good thing in like giving her friends stuff and like being apologetic to Buffy. So on one hand, I'm like, okay, so he is laying it on thick, but he's trying. But on the other hand, we know what happens when someone new is introduced to an episode of Buffy. So like we automatically don't trust this guy. But also on top of that, him and Joyce are having this manipulation of Buffy right now where they're asking Buffy to be okay with this right away but it's like okay let Buffy process okay she's obviously going to feel obligated to say yeah I'm fine right now in front of both of you who are looking at her and staring at her as a unit but really you should be like hey I'm sorry this happened process this take time to think about it we'll talk about it later Mm -hmm. she also just walked in on her mom making out with this guy which has probably never happened to her before so just you know don't manipulate her right now like don't don't coerce her into saying she's fine let her sit in that moment but like you know it's not in joyce's nature to ask and listen to her daughter as much as i want to like (sighs) joyce she's not a listener (laughs) joyce joyce We'll, we'll talk a lot more about joyce in this episode in the park Buffy is beating the shit out of a vampire using a garbage can lid and Giles is there uh, watching. He does try to intervene a bit and he's like, uh, Buffy, it, it's staking time. <laughs> and like He realizes that's not going to work. So he just sits down on a bench and watches her. And she seems super desperate for another fight after she stakes this vampire. And she's like, you know, are there any others out here? Like, you know, I want to fight. And Giles says, for their sakes, I hope not. And he asks her if she's all right. And she says, yes. So she's lying more. And Buffy wonders why vamps are hanging out in the park in the first place. And Giles says their leaders are gone, i.e. Spike and Drusilla. So all their vampire followers are are scattered. And this is why it would have been so good for you guys to have just checked to see if if Spike and Drusilla had died underneath that organ (laughs) the episode before. But anyway, the vamps are in the park because it's the easiest feeding ground. Buffy starts calling them creeps and she starts ranting about how everyone's getting along perfectly happy until vampires come along and then they take over your house and they make stupid mini pizzas and she's like goes on a rant. <laughs> and 
Giles interrupts again and says, like, is there something you want to share with the class? You know, like, is there something on your mind, Buffy? And again, Buffy says no, but she's eager to wait around all night for more vamps to beat up. So it is interesting to me that Buffy won't admit her feelings to Giles, that she's keeping this from Giles. And I don't know why. Well, my theory to that would be Giles is Buffy's Slayer dad. (laughs) And so any Slayer related things, you can talk to Slayer dad. But I don't think Buffy's comfortable talking about her personal life, especially her family life with Giles yet, right? Because every time she's brought up personal stuff like, I want to date Owen, or I want to date Angel, a vampire, Giles has always kind of responded very negatively because he's like, no, you're the slayer. You have to do your duty. Yeah. So I don't think, like, as much as their relationship has deepened over the past season, I don't think they're at a point where she's ready to really discuss her family life with him. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. So the next day at school, the, the Scoobies are walking the halls and Xander is obsessed with Ted's pizza, like obsessed with it. Very in character. Very in character. And Buffy is trying to get them to see what she sees in Ted, but can't offer up any solid evidence to not like him. She's like, he's nice, polite, good job. Her mother really likes him. And Xander's like, what kind of monster is he? And Xander and Willow both guess that Buffy's having issues. They say, uh, Willow says, separation anxiety, mother figure being taken away, conflict with the father figure. And Xander teases her about having parental issues. And Buffy admits that she's weirded out by seeing her mother Frenching this guy. But she's got good senses for what's going on around her. And something is weird about Ted. And Buffy is right in this case because We've seen again and again and again that Buffy senses these supernatural things around her. She's got a Slayer sense, and it tingles. And usually when she brings up something weird that's happening, even if it's a little bit out of place, she's usually right. And I always think about the puppet episode. (laughs) I always think about that, because she's like, the dummy was in my room, and they're like, no, he wasn't. (laughs) I agree. I also think that there's an interesting role reversal happening here with Xander, and Buffy because typically Xander has been the one who's been suspicious of new guys in Buffy's life, right? Mm. Suspicious of Angel, suspicious of Ford, and he's always like suspicious and everybody else is like, you know, stop being jealous, Xander. So in this case, Xander is has zero suspicions about Ted. So yeah. on one level, it's just an interesting reversal, but I would also think like... The reason for that is probably because, unlike those other guys, Xander doesn't see Ted as a sexual rival for Buffy, right? Mm, So Ted isn't a threat to Buffy uh, in the same way that those other guys were. Boo Xander. That's a good point for sure. I also don't really like how they're psychoanalyzing her when, like, about her parental issues. They could be a little more sensitive, but it was the late 90s stuff, so everybody was (laughs) tripping everybody else. But I just—I also want us to to really focus on the fact that her friends once again aren't believing her, and something that yeah. she says is wrong. And they, for whatever reason, because they don't see it or because this person's human, they don't believe her. And this is going to carry on into the future. Mm-hmm. Just that her friends don't believe her when she says something, and they think she's being emotional or they psychoanalyze her. So Ted is at the school. He's behind them. I hate it when people do that when you're talking <laughs> about them and they're behind you. 
I know, it's the worst. So he's updating the software in the guidance office, he says, and he's giving Willow her upgrades that he promised. And then he invites them to miniature golf on Saturday and a picnic. And again, this puts Buffy on the spot, right? Just like the night before, like, oh, are you going to be okay with this? She's like, yeah. So now he's putting her on the spot again in front of her friends. And how can she possibly say no when her friends are so charmed and want to go? But she Mm -hmm. does try to say no. Like, she does try to get out of it. And Willow, once again, picks up on this and tries to make an excuse for them. They're like, oh, we have that thing. But Xander ignores this and says, we're on for Saturday. Because as much as we're trying to give Xander a little space, Xander is once again considering his own needs over his friends. Mm-hmm. All for cookies and pizza, you know? Yep. He's putting his stomach before his friends. Oh, God. So, Giles is outside Jenny's classroom and he's saying that she has textbooks that were delivered in the library and jenny calls him out and says that's a really flimsy excuse to come and see me and giles says you should have heard the ones i threw out (laughs) and giles is checking up on her and jenny says that she's been out of mortal danger for three weeks but she still is having trouble sleeping and she still needs space and she knows that he's concerned for her But having him around, making puppy dog eyes at her, wondering if she's okay, it makes her feel bad that she doesn't feel better and she doesn't want that responsibility. Oh, Oh, so good. my God. Oh, my God. I love that she told him that. Yes. It's not my goddamn responsibility to make you feel better about the lie you told me and how you put me in danger. Well, and especially in a relationship between a man and a woman, right? Like there's often so much pressure on women to make peace and to put up with partners mistakes you know whereas men often tend to be raised to be told like you make mistakes you just keep moving on right you put your head down you just keep going yeah and so for giles to do what he's doing to jenny and impose himself on her and put that pressure on her like Clearly, you know, his heart's in the right place. He just wants what he thinks is best, but he doesn't understand. And it is so unfair of him to put her in this position. So I agree with you. And I think the writers handled this scene very well. And the actors also did a great job with this scene. Because I think there would be a way to play this that is like too over the top and melodramatic. And, you know, music in the background and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they, they kept it low key so that you could tell that like Jenny has all these feelings under the surface because she's still into Giles. She wants to be with Giles, but her trauma isn't letting her right now. And Giles needs to step back. Yeah. And, you know, Giles is sorry and he's worried. But sometimes when you have too much concern for somebody like he's showing here, it causes anxiety in the person Mm -hmm. that you're concerned for. And I love that Jenny expresses that. And you're right. It's very mellow and it's very adult this conversation it's there you know save the dramatics for the teenagers and buffy and angel like if when you kiss me i want to die like save that save that for them this is a really real conversation in my opinion mm-hmm. and then of course as giles goes to leave and jenny looks after him sadly because even though he came with good intentions she's doing the emotional labor now right and mm-hmm. she feels like she has to make it up to him Speaking of Buffy and Angel, they are at Angel's loft 
And Buffy is wrapping Angel's hand up because remember, it has a giant hole in it from <laughs> the episode before when Spike stabbed it. And uh, she's talking nonstop about Ted and her mom and Angel's kind of like, girl, like you are obsessed with Ted too. <laughs> like that is, you keep talking about him. And <laughs> I think some people could read that as he, he doesn't want to listen to her anymore, but that's not the case. He's telling her that you are the one who's kind of obsessed. That's all. Yeah. And <laughs> Angel wisely and handsomely points out that maybe Buffy's mom is lonely right? And again, we pointed out in the dark age that in our lives, you reach a point, you reach a point of maturity where you realize that your parents or the adults in your life are humans and they're people with lives and feelings. Oh, maybe you haven't yet, Kara. <laughs> you will. Uh, you know, unfor <laughs> unfortunately, that realization hit pretty early for me, Steph. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Yeah. So that's, I mean, <laughs> that's what Buffy is starting to realize. And I think Angel's helping her get there <laughs> in this conversation. And I like that Buffy is able to open up to Angel as she couldn't to Giles the night before. Angel does say loneliness is about the scariest thing there is. So Buffy says that, she, okay, she gets it. Her mom needs a guy in her life, but why does it have to be Ted? And Angel basically says Buffy wouldn't want any guy in her mom's life. Buffy basically says, I want it to be my dad, but I know that's never going to happen. So I guess I'll give Ted a chance, but do I have to like him? And Angel just says, kiss me. <laughs> and Buffy <laughs> says, finally, something I want to do. And then they make out and it's the perfect scene. <laughs> yeah. So like this, this is a really good scene. Angel doesn't show up at all in the rest of this episode, but I like that they included this scene. <sighs> Firstly, because it shows us Angel's status, right? He is healing. He's not fit for duty right now, which could be an issue at some point, maybe. But it also shows us, like, the evolution of Buffy's relationship with Angel. Now that she's kind of saved him from his impending death and stuff, <laughs> they're bonding much more strongly. And I think we're, we're moving quite firmly from attraction and then, of course, Angel was very scared about the prospect of, like, dating her. But I think we're kind of past that point now. Like, she's bandaging up your arm in your house. Like, you're, you're together at this point, Angel. Let's just... Yeah, I agree. This is the first scene. I mean, we got we got their little date, their little skate date before. And then her, like, very public caress of his face in front of all her friends at the end of the last episode. But here, I think it's pretty safe to say they're in a relationship like this is boyfriend girlfriend stuff happening right yeah, here. well and it's it's far more romantic and supportive to see buffy physically taking care of angel and angel emotionally taking care of buffy by listening to her mm. and you know giving her a little bit of perspective right like that's a very healthy thing for somebody to do with their significant other and it, as much as i know steph you'd love to see them get hot and heavy <laughs> like this this type of interaction is also very important to their relationship. Well, yeah, the intimacy and that easy conversation. And I love how mm. you said like, yeah, they're supporting each other in different ways. And that's mm, chef's kiss. <laughs> Things are exactly as I want them to be. <laughs> OK, moving on. <laughs> it's Saturday and we're at the miniature golf course because it's where everybody loves to go on Saturdays. Um, and. <laughs> We enter a series of jokes that are both very heteronormative uh, while also kind of being homophobic and mm. also being very sexist and very stereotypical and almost like a throwback to like the 
sitcoms of the 70s and the 80s that John Ritter was in. So Ted, you know, like made this whole picnic for them and stuff. And Joyce is just like, like, I think the right word is fawning. She's fawning over Ted. Yeah. And she makes this joke. She's like, it's so rare to find a man who cooks. Actually, I don't know if she's joking or not. I don't know if she's serious. It's hard to tell with Joyce because she has like zero emotional range. But she's like, it's so rare to find a man who cooks. And Ted replies because he always has a witty rejoinder. He's like, I know I've been trying for some time to find one. Right. So like that's kind of the homophobic humor of like, Mm -hmm. you know, making fun, making this association that like guys who like to cook are gay. Um, And then, of course, the sexism there of like, oh, only women are good at cooking. And then Ted turns around and he looks at Buffy and he's like, Buffy, I bet the boys are lined up around the block trying to get a date with you. <laughs> it's just what like... What the fuck, man? This right. is so creepy. Like that's a, yeah, it's an inappropriate comment for so a teenager, especially a teenage girl who's going to be your stepdaughter if you have your way, right? Like you don't, you don't comment on your daughter's sexual availability like that. Yeah, and like implying that she's hot because all the boys must be lined up around the block for you. It's really creepy. Yeah, Willow intervenes, but of course, because she's so adorably awkward, she's like, oh, there's only one guy. And then she's like, wait, like, uh, no, actually, you know, she's too busy. She's too interested in like studying. And (laughs) she calls Buffy book cracker Buffy, which is a terrible nickname. It sounds awful awful but you know once willow has said something like willow is good at lying but her lies aren't always like the most convenient lies so yeah 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 um maybe because she likes ted she doesn't like lying to him is hard for her i don't know true it's a good point yeah but then ted turns it to her grades so buffy says did you tell him about my grades and joyce is like of course he wants to know everything about you it's a good thing joyce that is not a good thing that is a huge red flag lady yeah like i mean i've never had kids right so i don't know for sure but if i were in joyce's position (laughs) i would be very protective of my daughter And if this guy I was seeing was nosing around my daughter's grades and her dating life and stuff, I'd be like, buddy, back off. This is my business. It's not your business until we're like officially a thing, right? Like until we know you're around to stay. And you're like living in my house. And you're going to be her parent with me. Like, yeah, you don't have to worry about this. She's my responsibility. Red flags much, Ted. Joyce herself said Ted wants to know everything about you. So it's not like um, it would come up in casual conversation. Ted literally is asking about your daughter. So Joyce, look alive He's investing too much fatherly interest way too fast. That's mm. the red flag. It's like, I don't know how long you guys have been dating. It appears only a couple weeks. So, like, just pump the brakes. The, the couple weeks should be you guys whining, dining, smoking pot at the gallery, and making <laughs> out. Like, that's... <laughs> so, he shouldn't be asking about your daughter's dating life or grades. Making, like, a, a sex painting? <laughs> I mean, who knows what they did all those late nights on Halloween in the art gallery. (laughs) You're welcome, listeners, for that mental picture. (laughs) So Buffy hits the ball really hard and it goes out of bounds or I don't know how miniature golf works. But her mom says, we won't count it. And Ted says, rules are rules. What we teach her, she'll take out into the world and when we're not here. So right is right. Like we have to make her play by the rules. And Joyce 
agrees. And um, I just want to point out here that Buffy is wearing heels. Like, she, like her, the, what she chose to wear are these like high heels to a picnic miniature golf day. And I was like, Buffy, sometimes what you wear, like, I think you look great. But like miniature golfing is all walking. <laughs> like it's all Isn't that such a sixteen year old girl thing to do though, right? Of just like <laughs> yeah. I just wanna wear heels. Inappropriate shoes. Um so anyway, Buffy does something else that I think is like, whoa, Buffy, whoa. She cheats. She drops her ball into the hole. And and I was like, Buffy, like seriously? <laughs> like what are you cheating for? Now, I'm not gonna get as angry as Ted gets, obviously. But I do think it's weird that she <laughs> chose to cheat, unless she just wants to like screw over Ted, right? He's like, you know, rules are rules. And she's like, fuck you, and puts it in the hole, right? So Ted sees that she did that, and he gets super pissed, calls her a little lady, does a whole, like, right is right, wrong is wrong. I'm not wired that way. It's not a game. It does count. I don't stand for this kind of malarkey in my house. And while he's saying this, he's, like, hitting his club against his leg, and it sounds like it's wooden almost. Like, it's just, like, plunk, plunk, plunk. And Buffy says, well, it's a good thing I'm not in your house, and then Ted says, do you want me to slap that smart-ass mouth of yours? Fuck this, this guy. Is, Fuck him. Yeah, this is a genuinely upsetting scene, right? Like, yeah. I can totally see this being triggering for anybody who's had to deal with any kind of abuse, especially parental abuse, right? Like, up until this point, we still don't know if there is a supernatural angle to Ted. So, so far, he's just a shitty human being. And Buffy really hasn't had to deal with this yet. Who's the most annoying human in her life? Probably Snyder, right? Like, mm. But even Snyder isn't abusive in the way that Ted is being abusive to Buffy. So this scene is uncomfortable because Buffy is basically being infantilized, right? All of her power, all of her strength as the Slayer is meaningless in this moment. And Ted just dishes it out at her. Uh, and she just has to take it because she can't do anything in front of everybody, right? And that's the thing. Everyone comes up behind him after he says this to her. And he switches his personality so yeah. quickly. His mood and his stance and his demeanor, everything changes. And he's like, who wants cookies? And everybody's really happy. But Buffy's standing there shocked that he just said that to her. And uh, I didn't remember this episode like super well. I obviously knew it was going to happen. But re-watching it around this time, this scene did make me feel very uncomfortable. And it's just mm -hmm. because it was this scene that made me realize for the first time that this could be, like you said, very triggering to some people because it is a very real situation. Yeah. Something that I probably didn't pick up on well, when I was younger. And and the next scene as well, right? So Yeah, but this is the beginning of it. <sighs> so in the morning, Joyce is getting breakfast together at the house and Ted made sticky buns and Joyce is eating them. And Buffy does not want to eat them. And Joyce calls her out on her attitude. And she's like, he went out of his way to be nice to you. You don't even talk to him. You don't need to love him right away, but you should be decent. And Buffy asks if she loves him. Joyce is like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But she does say it's not like men beat down the door when you're a single parent. So we're kind of getting a little bit into Joyce's psyche here. Mm -hmm. And Joyce says, he does care about you. And why can't you see that? 
this is why it's kind of like when when just when Joyce brings up the single parent thing and Buffy does say for her single parent, it's like you you maybe you we can get a little bit into Joyce's headspace in terms of her being lonely, right? She's a divorcee. I don't know how many friends she has in this town. Probably not a lot. She works a lot. She works really hard apparently. So she's just lonely. So she really wants it to work with a really good guy. And I think she thinks she's found that. And Buffy straight up says, he threatened me. And he said he was going to slap my face. And Buffy tells her her mother that. And Joyce says, he said no such thing. He caught you cheating. He didn't say anything in front of everyone else, which is so decent of him. So, yeah, she's, uh, she's making an excuse for Ted. And she... You know, Joyce is only seeing what she wants to see from Ted at this point. And she's obviously aided by the fact that, as we saw in the previous scene, Ted is a very good actor. He's very good at pivoting from threatening Buffy when it's just the two of them to being a smiley, nice guy as soon as he knows Joyce and the others are watching again. So I I think, like you said, to get into Joyce's headspace, I think Joyce believes what she's saying. I think Mm -hmm. as far as she's concerned, Ted has done nothing wrong. And like I said, this scene is such a great sequel to the previous scene in terms of extending the discomfort that we're feeling as watchers. Think about being a a vulnerable, like a 16-year-old girl telling your mom that this guy that she's seeing has physically threatened you. Like, can you imagine how nervous Buffy must feel and how alone she must feel, especially given her history, the way that her mom already kind of thinks that Buffy's a little bit unhinged and stuff? Like, Mm -hmm. this is taking guts for Buffy to do this. Yeah, and she's not believed, and that's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because after that, Joyce says, Ted... Ted said, we need to give you time because Ted speaks for Joyce now and he's making dinner for them tonight and Buffy gets pissed and leaves. Once again, Ted is moving too fast, right? And Joyce is allowing Ted to manipulate her into moving too Letting fast. It. Like, Yeah, she's opening the door for this. So so let's say, Buffy, let's say you don't believe Buffy. You could still, you know, call up Ted and be like, you know what? Buffy's really upset about Saturday. Uh, I'm not mad at you, but maybe we could reschedule dinner for like later in the week, right? Like give the two of them a little bit of space and time apart instead of trying to like force everything to be okay right away. Like all it takes, Joyce, is for you to sit Buffy down and hear what she has to say and really listen. Just listen to your daughter. Find out what's bothering her. If you think she's lying, find out why. And maybe you'll uncover the truth, right? And then this whole thing wouldn't happen. But all she does when Buffy leaves is give that look like, oh, teenagers, like, I'll never understand them. Like, how could she and be this way? I don't get way? that. You were a teenager once, Joyce. Every parent was once a teenager. How do you not understand this? Yeah, it's it's incredibly frustrating and, and just really, really sad for Buffy because Buffy leaves angrily because she just confessed. Hey, your new boyfriend is a fucking asshole and he's only mean to me. And her mom doesn't believe her, and that's awful. So at school, Buffy's asking Willow to investigate Ted and to hack into his life. And uh, like this is this is more frustrating for me again because like I said, sometimes her friends just do not believe Buffy when it comes to her emotional feelings. Like she'll believe her mm-hmm. supernaturally, maybe, but in this case they don't. Xander says she's overreacting, and Willow says she just wants him to be corrupt. And Xander says he's on her side, but there's some things in life that you need to accept. Uh, 
fuck you both. <laughs> like, <laughs> your friend is telling you she's really upset by this. She definitely told you that he threatened her. And the Slayer gets threats all the time. So why would she even lie? Like, this isn't out of the blue for Buffy to receive a threat and be honest about it and to tell her friends. So they should believe her and they're not. Yeah. Cordelia walks by and Xander says, nice outfit. And Cordelia is gets very defensive and she's like, yeah, very funny. What are you saying? And Xander says, uh, nice outfit. <laughs> and Cordelia just says, keep your mouth shut and walks away. And Xander follows her, which Buffy and Willow notice and think is weird. When he catches up to Cordelia, she's like, you complimented me in front of your friends. They're going to know that we kissed. And Xander says, I'm not going to tell. They're not going to know. Do you want to go to the utility closet and make out? And Cordelia's like, God, is that all you ever think about? Then she thinks about it and she's like, okay. <laughs> right? Like, this is so funny. And it's a necessary yeah. break for humor in this very dour episode. I loved that. I love this exchange. I love that. It's funny. Yeah, it, and it's developing in this way, right? Like, yeah. Cordelia clearly is disgusted by her attraction to Xander. <laughs> As we all are, Cordy. <laughs> but she can't help it. Like, her teenage hormones are also like, yeah, making out with this guy in a closet sounds really good, even though I despise him. Yeah, and um, we get the impression that this has been going on now for a couple, like, mm -hmm. you know, a couple days or maybe a week or so. Mm -hmm. Speaking of outfits, I need to add that at this point... Prior to the start of this scene, I thought Buffy was, when she came downstairs and she had this conversation with her mom, I thought Buffy was in her pajamas, right? Like oh. she was just like, like a pajama set with like a matching like little like uh, robe. And yeah. then of course, we, we cut to high school and she's still in those same clothes. And I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> not pajamas. Okay. If. Buffy's not wearing heels and an inappropriate short skirt while she's slaying or playing mini golf. She's going to be wearing her pajamas. <laughs> There's no in between. <laughs> like, do they not look like pajamas? Like, just the, the print and the, the cut? And I, I don't know, like the fabric? I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, fashion tangent. Buffy is our icon. <laughs> we go back to Buffy and Willow. Yeah. And what's going on? Buffy is saying to Willow that Ted has a problem with me and he acts like I'm in the way. And her mom's been different, almost Stepford-like, since she's been with him. Willow does agree to help her. You know, Willow's like, okay, yeah, I'll help you, whatever you want. And Buffy says, I want to know where he works. So at the place of Ted's work, a corporate office. Oh, God, the worst thing in the world, a corporate office. <laughs> corporate <laughs> office full of cubicles, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh. I work in an office full of cubicles, so there you go. <laughs> um, but basically, this is this is phone sales. So Buffy is watching Ted from the snack station because every corporate workplace has a snack station. He is killing it at his job. And he gets up and he adds another tick onto the leadership board. And then he goes off to lunch. So Buffy talks to his colleague, who doesn't have a name, who I think we'll just call him Ned. She says she's Belinda, a temp for the day, and she asks about Ted. Ned calls him the machine. He says he's a genius. He never loses a client. Buffy says, well, surely he must have ex-wives or families. And Ned says he has a girlfriend, and he points at a picture of Joyce on his desk. And he says he's taken off for his wedding, which he's booked two months from now. So Buffy goes over to his desk and looks at the picture of Joyce. And indeed, it is a picture of Buffy and Joyce that Ted has folded over and essentially cut Buffy out. 
Symbolism. How subtle. <laughs> Super subtle, Ted. You should have known Buffy would come investigate. This really shows that Buffy is right in feeling like Ted is trying to get rid of her. So at dinner, you could cut the tension with a knife. Ted is saying grace and Buffy is just staring stone-faced at him. Part of his grace, he says, bless this house and help the people in it be more productive, more considerate, and more honest. Boo. So since when is this family religious? I do think that this is another bad sign, Joyce, that when you start dating someone new and you immediately take on their religious views, yeah, I think that's I very mean, strange. It's not so much religion, right? Like this is... In America and in Canada too, right? Like the idea of grace um, is almost like a secular thing, right? In the sense of like, you may not be a practicing Christian, but there's something about the stereotypical American happy family where the patriarch says grace before dinner, right? Mm. And that's what Ted seeks to embody. So I don't think it's necessarily religion so much as it is lip service to the american dream true but it's a, it's also ted enforcing his habits and his oh yeah absolutely his way of life yeah, I, I agree with you family. i don't think buffy and her no. mom were sitting down to dinner every night saying grace <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and uh the way he's just calling out buffy in that grace is so weird and he asks buffy what she learned at school and she says quite a bit and joyce compliments the food and Buffy asks if they're engaged. Just straight up. She's like, are you engaged? <laughs> and Joyce starts to answer. But Ted says he'll handle this. And he says, me and your mom are taking it one step at a time. And someday soon he might ask her to tie the knot. How would that make you feel, Buffy? It's okay to have feelings, Buffy. Express your feelings, Buffy. Right? And it's so condescending and so annoying. And Buffy says, I'd feel like killing myself. Oh. oh my god yikes oh my god yikes and do you remember in what's my line part one i was saying i was getting mad teenage vibes off buffy that episode like she just felt yeah. more and more like a teenager to me than ever this makes me like when she said that i was like buffy mm. like oh that's that is a very youthful thing to shout at your parents sure but that's dark that's really dark yikes and ted calls her sweetheart and says, get used to me because I'm not going anywhere. Buffy excuses herself to her room. Joyce says she's embarrassed. Like, but Joyce doesn't even flinch that Buffy would say, I I'd kill myself if you married him. She's just like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I don't know what's wrong with her. And, okay, Joyce, like, I know that we will find out later more about Joyce's behavior, right? Like, and, mm -hmm. and what's driving it. But Ted is overstepping so hard. This whole night, Ted is overstepping. And this especially when he like talked to your daughter about the future you're going to have with this man. I, I just can't believe that she lets him take over like that. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. Buffy goes to the park and she's like, vampires, come out, vampires. <laughs> like she wants to kill something. She's just like sitting on a swing. So much for going to her room, right? It's like. Yeah. And I do think that this is something interesting too, that Buffy, uh, this might be one of the first times we're seeing it. Buffy kind of falling back and relying on her slaying and mm -hmm. violence to make her feel better. Mm -hmm. Which I don't think we'll see the last of in Buffy's character, but I definitely see it here that she's feeling emotional and stressed 
And this is how she's taking it out and how she's going to handle it is by killing something, doing something violent, something that's probably not the best thing for her. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Buffy's crawling back into her room through the window and Ted is in her room waiting for her. And this is so the opposite of when Angel's in her room waiting for her. <laughs> and Buffy notices that he was going through her things. And Buffy says, how dare you? And Ted says, how is this any different from you snooping around my office? So, oh shit, how did Ted know <laughs> that Buffy was in his office? I mean, mind you, his colleagues could have told him. Yeah, or maybe he saw her leaving or something. Oh. I just also want to point out, this is different, Ted. Like... Your office is a public place in the sense of like, you know, there's a ton of other people around. So is it weird for Buffy to show up and poke around where you work? Yes, but it's not a violation of your privacy. Whereas you going into a 16-year-old girl's room and going through her private stuff is definitely a violation of privacy. And creepy. Creepy as fuck. He asks what a vampire slayer is because he's obviously been reading her diary. And she's like, that's none of your business. And he says, everything you do is my business from (sighs) now on. (sighs) Oh, my God. And I hate this part. I absolutely hate this part. He says, psychiatrists have a word for this, delusional. So for now on, you'll do what I say or I'll show this to your mother and you'll go to a mental institution. Your mother and I are going to be happy. You're not going to stand in the way. And I just really hate the idea that he's going to threaten her with this mental institution idea. That Buffy's delusional. That she's going to be thrown somewhere where a psychiatrist can poke at her all day. And she's not going to be taken seriously. And like all her agency will be gone. Like just throwing her in this institution, assuming that she's mentally ill. That's so fucking low. Again, that's patriarchy. Right. Is we seek to control women. And one of the most common tactics is to gaslight a woman, tell her that she's crazy. And if she still doesn't submit to your control, you fabricate a reason to lock her up and take control of her assets and her life. I mean, look at what's going on in the news right now with Britney Spears. Yes. Hashtag free Britney. That's why it's so uncomfortable. It's just like, oh my God, you fucking prick. So he goes to leave with the diary and Buffy warns him not to go with it. And Ted slaps her across the face. And this is horrible because it's a grown man slapping a 16-year-old girl. He doesn't know she's a slayer. Mm-hmm. Well, technically he does know. He doesn't believe. Oh, he does. <laughs> He knows. He just chooses not to believe it. And Buffy says she was so hoping he'd do that. And she punches him in the face. And then he backhands her super hard. And you can tell that he's very strong. That's when Joyce comes in to see Buffy retaliate and beat the shit out of him. To the point where he falls down the stairs and lies at the bottom still. And Joyce goes down there to see him. And she's like... You killed him. And it's such a hoagie seed. Like, I'm sorry, Christine Sutherland, you did not play that well, right? Because you could tell that was going to be a commercial break right there. Yeah. And it was was so hoagie. But yeah, yeah, like the moment Buffy says, I was so hoping that you'd do that. And she gives him this look. I think we're supposed to feel like she's going to turn the tables and get the upper hand against him. And then, of course... She ends up kicking him down the stairs and he's yeah. dead. Dead Ted. 
And, and so that's kind of this reversal of our expectations. Yeah, that she resorted to violence and and that's, yeah. So Ted is being zipped up into a body bag and the cops are there and the ambulance is there. There's a crowd outside. And good for Joyce who managed to like, you know, gather up her brains for a second. And she lies to the cops, right? She says that Ted fell. I know, I noticed that too. I, I'm like, okay, Joyce, yeah. okay. Yes, lie for <laughs> Buffy, that's awesome. But then Buffy says, I hit him. No, Buffy, no, no, your mom was lying for you. And Buffy did this earlier in another episode, too, where Willow came up with a really great lie for her. And then Buffy completely, like, undersold it. So Buffy is obviously in shock. And she's feeling guilt that she killed a human, which is why she said, I hit him. I mean, I feel that way, too, right? Like, that's why we know we're not psychopaths. Of course, but I'm just, I, I did want to point out that Joyce did lie for her. But she told the truth. So at the police station, Joyce is looking traumatized as she waits at a cop's desk. Buffy's being interrogated alone? Like, hello, wouldn't her parent get to be there or somebody? Like, I don't think they'd take a 16-year-old, a minor, and, and do this alone. I don't think that's, that's so the way it works. So here's my question for Joyce, basically. Because, you know, props for trying to cover for your daughter here. But you let the cops take her down to the police station why are you letting them question her alone? She is a minor. You should be present. And you shouldn't let them question her until there's a lawyer in the room with you. What is going on? Yeah, that was my point. I was like, why is she sitting there by herself? Yeah. 16 years old. Are you kidding me? So Buffy's telling them what happened. She said, we got into an argument and he threatened her before. He said he would slap her and he had my diary and I tried to take it back and he hit me. And the cop asks where, and Buffy touches her face, and the cop says, he couldn't have hit you that hard. <laughs> and Buffy says she doesn't bruise easily. And he asks if you've been hit before. And then Buffy said, yes, but Ted never hit her until that night. So Buffy says, look, I told you what happened. I didn't mean to. And the cop says he believes her, but he so does not believe her. Like, I'm just trying to figure out where the cop's mind is at. You, you know, know, I, I think... The cop is just trying to figure out what's going on, period, right? And he probably has a couple of suspicions. This is, I think this is a really good example of an interrogation and a good reminder, people, you don't talk to the cops without a lawyer. Like, just do not do it. Um, because this is what a cop does is he will ask a question that is seemingly simple to answer. And then he'll take your answer and he'll twist it a little in answering the next question right so it's like you know did he hit you yes where did he hit you right here oh, i don't see a bruise i don't bruise easily oh have you been hit before and suddenly you're on shaky ground like what is this cop trying to insinuate he's trying to unsettle you yeah so so when they come out joyce asks if asks if buffy is being charged and the cop says they're just they're examining it and they should just go home and rest and it is the most awkward tense car ride in the world and anyone who's ever fought with your parents in the car like this show like bang on that is exactly what it feels like and what it looks like after you're done fighting so so buffy goes to school the next morning and everybody's staring at her all the students even the teachers are talking shit behind her back xander and willow see her and they go up to her and they ask her if she's okay and why did she come to school and buffy says she just couldn't stay at home because her mom won't look at her and Xander asks, what was he? You know, was he a demon, a giant bug? And Buffy doesn't say anything. So Xander just says, 
oh man that doesn't help xander <laughs> you're not yeah, helping th- there's not a lot of sympathy here there's just like oh buffy you dealt with it good job slayer and it's like can you not tell from her outfit that she's very disturbed like but willow tries and she says but he started it and buffy says that defense only works in six-year-old court willow she doesn't know if they're going to charge her with anything, but basically he was a person and I killed him. Mm-hmm. And Willow says, don't say that. And Xander says it was an accident and he doesn't know what happened, but he knows Buffy and he knows that she would never hurt anyone intentionally unless, and then Buffy finishes his sentence, unless they were dating my mother. So once again, like you guys are so not helpful yeah. <laughs> right now. You're making her feel worse. She actually doesn't want to feel better anyway. She doesn't want you there to be, make her feel better. She's there to feel bad for herself. Mm-hmm. So she walks down the hallway and she runs into Giles, who asks her if, she, if she's all right. And he does come up to her uh, and touch her shoulder. I don't think it's inappropriate, this touch. We haven't actually seen an inappropriately close Giles for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think him tapping her on the shoulder in the hallway, I, I, I just, teachers don't touch the students, right? But I think it was innocent enough. And um, Buffy notices that Giles was talking to the cops because they're at school and she, she leaves and Giles can't say anything to her. Xander, Cordelia, and Willow and Giles are all in the library and Xander is pacing around and ranting and saying how much this sucks. That bastard was up to something and he really wants to prove that Uncle Ted was dirty. And as Xander goes through his bag, he finds a bag of Ted's cookies (laughs) that were left over from the picnic, I guess. And he starts eating them. And Cordelia compares Buffy to Superman and Cordelia is basically just asking, shouldn't there be different rules for her? <laughs> and Willow says, in a fascist society, and Cordelia is like, why can't we have one of those? <laughs> oh, Cordelia, you're so precious. You're so precious. I know. She's so great here. Just wait another 10 years, 10 or 15 years, Cordelia, and you'll get your wish. <laughs> It'll come. Uh, Giles is loading weapons into a bag and he's saying Buffy took a human life so the guilt is pretty hard to bear and won't go away soon and Cordelia says I guess you should know since you helped raise that demon that killed that guy that one time this is just like the way that she delivers that at a gauge it's like it's not coming out of a place of malice I don't think she's trying to be mean to Giles she's just I think she's still processing this whole I'm now a member of the Scoobies kind of (laughs) <laughs> she just has no filter, right? Can we just pause for a moment, though, and just point out, like, especially Giles, like, why is everybody so chill about the fact that Buffy just killed a guy? Yes. Why don't you guys give a shit? So Giles says that he's going to patrol tonight while Buffy's dealing with her own shit. And Cordelia actually offers help. She says it's, it goes by very quickly, but she's like, oh, like, can I help you or whatever? And Giles says, you three just stay here, help Buffy, keep investigating. And uh, Willow says she can't find any criminal record on Ted. And Xander, all of a sudden, is very relaxed and says, don't sweat it. Everything will be fine. We'll work it out. No worries. And Cordelia's like, so what happened to this is killing me? (laughs) And Xander points, he takes the cookies eating and points at her and says, worrying isn't going to solve any of our problems. And Willow, because she's got an IQ of 130, she like looks at the cookie, looks at Xander, takes the cookie and makes a connection right there. At Buffy's house, Joyce is sorting through dishes in the kitchen or, or boxes and 
Buffy tries to offer her help and she's like, it's done. So she's like closing that door. That would have been a good time for them to start their talk. But Joyce doesn't want to talk. And she just says, go to your room. And Buffy looks destroyed by that. She looks so upset. She's been trying to have an honest conversation with her mom since the beginning of this episode. And it, it has taken killing a guy... And still, no conversation. And, and Joyce is like, like, I get it. Again, if we're trying to get in her headspace, I understand that being a parent is hard. And when you experience a traumatic thing, like your boyfriend dying at your daughter's hand, I can understand why Joyce is acting the way she's acting. But it's still just like, Joyce, you have a pattern of not talking to your daughter. Like even thinking back to like school hard. Right? Like the way that Joyce was dealing with Buffy's delinquency per Snyder's detailing of it, you know, it was just like, you, car, now. Right? Like, I think Joyce needs to go back to listening to those parenting tapes from season one, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, it's just this lack of, like, if you had listened to Buffy that morning when she said that he had threatened her, if that had been the time for you to sit back and listen to her, then this would never have happened. Yeah. Joyce, I'm sorry, but this is kind of on you. In the lab, Willow has tested the cookies using some sort of magic science, some sort of really awesome high school science (laughs) equipment that she's got there. Yeah, there's no mass spectrometry going on here. It's like somehow (laughs) she's able to get a chemical breakdown from these cookies. She found Demotorin, which is a tranquilizer that keeps you mellow and compliant, and it shares components with ecstasy. (sighs) So the food has drugs in it, and that explains why Joyce is so relaxed and letting the strange man walk all over her and telling her daughter what to do. I mean, it does give a little bit more space for Joyce's behavior lately, and Buffy had said earlier that she was acting Stepford and weird. She was more high than usual. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Well, like, that's the thing. is like, Joyce is always high and kind of laid back (laughs) and checked out. So don't you think that this would have been, like, shouldn't she have a tolerance for this kind of stuff? I personally believe that Joyce knew the food had drugs in it. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Like, I think Ted told her this is, like, straight up edibles. Like, everything I make is edibles. And Joyce is like, yeah, into it. I mean, it's not a good call, Joyce, but I do believe that you knew <laughs> the food was laced, which is why you like couldn't shut up about it. Like, oh, this food okay. is amazing. And oh, <laughs> these sticky buns. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I just feel like she knew. <laughs> but they did make her more mellow than she usually is. So Xander is psyched about this because uh, it proves that Ted is a crook and Buffy's in the clear. And he says, Willow, I adore you. And Willow smiles at this, and Xander says, that's just the cookies talking, but you rock. And Willow kind of half smiles at that. So I think this tiny little scene of the two of them where Xander gives her praise and she seems really happy about it, I think this solidifies that Willow still might have some feelings for Xander that we haven't addressed in a couple episodes. Mm -hmm. They're still there, perhaps less so, but it's not like she's given up all that hope for him. Mm Because when he said, I adore you, she got a little bit too happy, in my opinion. Yeah. So that's when Cordelia comes in with award-winning investigative research. She's got personal records, marriage certificates, and an address. Good for you, Cordy. So all, all three of them go off to go check out this address. Okay. So 
I just had this thought of like, you know, we've previously seen that Cordelia is not the most academic student. I think it's very interesting how her involvement with the Scoobies is getting her to do things like research, you know, using the library, using computers more than she ever would have before. Right. Mm -hmm. So this just goes to show that when you motivate your students with practical real world problems, they will learn more. Yep. (laughs) Great job, teacher. Great teacher message right there. (laughs) So in the park, Giles is hunting vampires alone when Jenny comes up behind him. Uh, She says she saw his car and wanted to come apologize. Apologize to Giles. No. Anyway, that's what she's there for. And Giles says now's not the best time. And Jenny says she was harsh the other day. Jenny, you weren't, though. You were so nice about it. Agreed. You were so nice. And she knows he feels badly about putting her in danger. It's like, yeah, but Jenny, you were in danger. So you can feel bad. You you can let him feel bad. And you mm-hmm. have time to keep feeling bad, you know? But I think she misses him. I think she misses the sexy, fuddy-duddy librarian. <laughs> so she's choosing to be over it and of course this is when a vampire comes up behind jenny at this moment and it tackles giles who does a pretty decent job of beating him up you know of holding his own for a bit but he tells jenny to go into his bag and by the way this scene is um done at the same time as a scene after it but i'm just gonna put it all now and jenny pulls out the crossbow and aims it at giles and the vampire we all know what's gonna happen when when this starts right oh yeah and jenny says good night big guy and shoots giles in the back (laughs) and the vampire laughs and says nice shot lady but giles okay Rupert Giles, a.k.a. The Ripper, does the sexiest move that was shocking to me. He pulls the arrow out of his back and stakes the vampire and dusts him. And I was like, that was fucking badass. I love that. Did it that. set your loins a quiver? <laughs> yeah, in a manner. I mean, I didn't get a lot of angel in this episode, so I guess I'm going to focus on Giles I, I, this time. I mean... I think part of our journey for season two has been your sexual awakening vis-a-vis Giles as a sexy funny daddy. <laughs> yeah, like Giles is all sorts of sexy this season. Well, he's not getting knocked out this time, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's him. Like, he didn't let a vampire fly him across this crematorium. He took an arrow out of his back that his hot-ass girlfriend shot at and dusted a vamp with it. And it was awesome. He's really wounded, though. <laughs> And Jenny's apologizing. Like, she missed his spine by inches, I think. And um, she's going to bring him to the hospital. And as they're walking, though, they they start laughing because Jenny's like, you know, you really know how to woo a girl back. Ha ha ha. But then he's in too much pain. So they have to go. Buffy hears a noise as she's waiting in her room. She wonders if it's her mom. But then she's just like, you know what? Fuck this. And she goes to leave through her window. But her window is nailed shut. That's when Ted comes in up behind her and Buffy is shocked. And so are we. He's alive. What the fuck? Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun also, dun. Um, Buffy thinks her mom nailed her window shut, but I'm going to say it was probably Ted who did it. I think so, too. Yeah. Although that it just it makes me laugh because it's like now I'm thinking of like Ted with a hammer, like hammering nails into the window. So and it's like, is he doing this when Buffy and Joyce weren't home, right? Because, like, that's a loud thing to do. Like, Joyce has been home all day, as far as we know, organizing her kitchen. 
True. Buffy went to school, but it's like, so when did you find the time to nail this window shut, Ted? Maybe he took his thumbs and he just like, like in. Maybe he didn't need a hammer, you know? Good point. <laughs> so Buffy said, you died. And he says, yeah, you killed me. Are you sorry? And Buffy asks what he is. And he just says, I'm a salesman. And then throws her across the room. And Buffy gets up and they start fighting and he starts choking her. And he says he had to shut down for a while to get Buffy off his back. And as he's choking her, Buffy grabs a nail file on her desk and stabs him in the arm, like a huge gash down his arm. And we can see that he is made of wires and electronics and he's obviously some sort of robot. And he starts glitching. Joyce is coming up from downstairs. Ted kicks Buffy in the face and (laughs) knocks her unconscious. And he says, don't worry about me and your mother. We're going to be very happy. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Xander, Willow, and Cordy are breaking into the address that they found in their research. And it's an abandoned wood shop. And they've counted four marriage certificates in his record. The oldest one from 1957. But no divorces. Cordelia notices that no one has worked or lived here for a very long time, and she also notices that the rug doesn't fit in with the rest of the decor, which clues in everybody that the rug's not supposed to be there, so they move it, and I'm sure enough there's a trapdoor underneath. Good detective skills, Scoobies. So Joyce starts apologizing to, to Buffy because she hears someone approach her from behind, so I, I, I just want to pause here and just say, Joyce was about to talk to Buffy. She was like, I'm sorry, Buffy, but like, I think she was like, this was it. She went downstairs, smoked a J, came back upstairs, was ready to talk and listen to her daughter, you know? Yeah. But it's not Buffy, it's Ted. And Ted says he was okay. He was only dead for six minutes. Any longer would cause brain damage. Um, he was unconscious for a day. Yeah, what? six minutes is plenty of time to cause brain damage, Ted. <laughs> This is absurd. This is absurd. And Joyce says, oh, but Buffy never meant to hurt you. Like, you know, it's, she's thinking about Buffy, which, okay, Joyce, good. Like, I'm glad that your mind is on Buffy and your dead boyfriend coming, your, your boyfriend coming back from the dead is, she's like, just don't be mad at Buffy, right? And Ted says, don't worry, daddy's here. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, not, God. Not a sexy use of daddy. Not a sexy use of daddy. <laughs> it, not at all. <laughs> Um, so Xander, Willow, and Cordy go down that trapdoor, and there's a retro apartment down there. <laughs> this is my favorite quote in the whole episode. Cordy says, yeah, feels like home if it's the 50s and you're a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> Cordelia does have some really good lines in this episode. So funny. <laughs> there are bricks behind the fake windows it's so creepy it's like it's like a little setup for somebody to live in like to a couple to live in and xander looks in the closet and when he opens the closet door he gets the most serious look on his face closes the door quickly and says let's go we have evidence now and willow asks what's in the closet and xander says ted's first four wives yeah ah This is so downplayed. This scene is so downplayed. Well, that's the point, right? Like, it's set up so well. The camera angle shooting from within the closet. So we just see Sanders' expression. We don't actually see any props or anything, which is for the best. And then the fact that he doesn't let Willow and Cordelia, you know, it's out of a somewhat sexist sense of chivalry. But it's also like, 
I, I wouldn't want to expose anybody of any gender to dead bodies if I could avoid it. So yes, good for you, Xander. You dealt with this well. But like the the way that they're so calm, leaving like the idea that there's four decaying bodies in that basement is so horrifying to me and so scary. And they're just like, oh, okay, turn off the lights. Up we go up the stairs. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, I just like that's horrifying. This is like a really oh, terrifying. Oh, they're going to need scene. counseling after this. Oh, for sure. And I will say, you know, we're like episode twenty three or twenty four or something in the whole series right now. This is the first time that I value Xander's bravery. You did it, Xander. You, you finally did it. Like, I know we've said, oh, he can be brave in the past, but I haven't really given him that much kudos for that stuff. I think you have. And I'm kind of like, yeah, this is the first time I've been impressed that he kept <laughs> his cool in the presence of a disgusting, disturbing scene. <laughs> yeah. So there, there it is. Ted is telling Joyce that he's going to make her happy and Joyce is rightfully getting freaked out. And she's like, let me talk to Buffy first before she sees you. And Ted starts freaking out. And he's like, do we have to worry about Buffy right now? What about Teddy? He's the one who died. And Joyce's face is like, oh, what the fuck is this? And Ted says, don't I tell you what to do? I'm going to make things right. We're going to go where no one can bother us. And while he's saying this, he's starting to glitch and like have like separate conversations on the side. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he's classic robot stuff. And Joyce suggests that he take a rest. And he says, stop telling me what to do. I don't take orders from women. I'm not wired that way. <laughs> oh, no. <sighs> Oh, no. Do you think this is a surprise that he was a robot? Do you think first-time watchers would have guessed yeah, that he was no, a robot? No, I don't think there's any way you would have guessed. Like, he obviously, there's some hints earlier. He says, I'm not wired that way before. And the um, machine. Like, they call him the machine yeah, at work. Yeah, but it's not the kind of thing. Because we haven't had robots yet, right? Like, we've had zombies and we've had praying mantis people. So, no, I think this would be a surprise. And that's kind of like what i mean about the twist kind of undermining everything and i'll talk a little bit about that at the very end of the episode but it's like okay so so he's a robot cool great what does that mean so buffy's coming to upstairs and joyce is saying we should celebrate with drink and ted's like no no we should go i have a house for you it's furnished just the way you like it and joyce says oh well i better go pack Like, terrified. And Ted says, I already have your clothes. They're your size. You left me once, but I keep bringing you back, husband and wife, forever. He says, they're your size. They're always your size. Which implies, (laughs) you know, that he targeted Joyce based on her matching the characteristics of his, presumably his first wife. And every wife since then has just been as close as he could get to the first wife. That is some Ted Bundy psycho serial killer shit. Like, that is terrifying stuff. Wait, do you think that's why he's called Ted? (laughs) Oh, my God, do you? That's probably exactly why they named him Ted. Oh, fuck. I'm wondering, like, uh, how many of our listeners are have made it this far an hour, almost an hour and a half into the episode, and they're like, Stefan Carr, is the penny just dropping for you now? <laughs> Sorry, listeners, it's late. Like, you dumb bitches. <laughs> okay, but I mean, if that's the case, my mind is like, pew, like that's crazy. <laughs> uh, the layers that we peel back when we're talking about these episodes, I tell you. 
Okay, so that's when Buffy breaks through her door and Joyce tells Ted to get off her. Also, Buffy breaking through her door. Like, did Ted attach locks to it earlier? They probably had a lock on it to begin with. But like locking her in her room versus out her room? You know what I mean? Yeah, I I don't know. It's just one of many things about this episode. Joyce, what are you even doing? (laughs) So anyway, Joyce tells Ted to get off her and he throws her against the wall and she passes out. So he goes to carry her out, but hears floorboards squeaking because our hero Buffy is awake and walking around the house. So he goes to look for her uh, and he's like, Buffy, come out. I don't stand for this kind of malarkey in my house. And Buffy comes around the corner and hits him on the face with a cast iron pan that he had used for making pizza at the beginning of the episode. And she says, this house is mine, which I loved. And Ted rolls over and his face is like Terminator style, like with you could see the mm-hmm. wiring in his face now. And I thought it looked pretty decent, to be oh, honest. Yeah. Like I, I thought it was good makeup. Buffy hits him again on the head and he short circuits and lays still. So Buffy just stares at him. So what do you think about that stare? Like at the, like it pans away from him and onto Buffy for a really long time where she just kind of like stares at him. I think she's getting out her aggression, right? Yeah. Like she's so frustrated. She's frustrated with everybody for not listening to her. And she was right. Yes, she was totally right. So yeah, so we, we cut to the next day. And they're on their front porch, Joyce and Buffy, and they're snacking. And Joyce is wanting to rent a movie that night, girls' night, nothing with horror or romance or men. <laughs> and Joyce is traumatized because... Well, she probably also has a concussion, right? Like, once uh... again, getting knocked out. Joyce, go get yourself checked. Good thing they're eating edible gummies right now because um, <laughs> like, if she needs it. And the police told her what they found at Ted's house, obviously all the women. So clearly Joyce never clued in that he was a supernatural robot like no one like told her that she just thinks that he's ted bundy that he's a regular old serial killer paul bernardo kind of guy and buffy says he's not coming back he's on the scrap heap of life (laughs) which i thought was funny and i don't know like i feel like wouldn't it have been easier for joyce to digest that he was a killer robot instead of just a a killer human joyce is not ready for that level of weird (laughs) Okay. I'm just like, maybe we would have told her then. I don't know. So at school, Xander's giving Ted's story. Ted was a genius who was dying. His wife leaves him. He builds a better Ted, brings her back, holds her hostage in his bunker until she dies. Then he brings her back over and over and over again. It's creepy on a level that he didn't know existed, which I agree with. But I do wonder how all those women died like i can't stop thinking about those women in that basement like how did they die did they die of natural causes like four people within that 30 year time frame yeah, it, like it's, it's weird you know like this is part of why i am not fond of the robot part of this story i think this story would have been a lot better if ted had just been an ordinary serial killer first off the idea of ted being a robot like I know Willow hangs a lampshade on this by saying, oh, he must have been so, like, genius to make such an advanced robot. I'm going to refer back to something that you said, Steph, in Some Assembly Required, when you were talking about how maybe the Hellmouth gives people in Sunnydale a boost. Mm. Uh, Maybe it makes it easier for them to bring people back to life. Maybe it makes them a little bit smarter. Uh, Maybe it makes it easier to build robots because... 
we've learned in this episode that it is very easy to build robots in the Buffyverse, like human androids, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And minor spoiler for our listeners, this is not the last time we will see androids in Buffy. Um, (laughs) Robots are going to come back in a big way, and I won't say anything else about that, but it's like, for some reason, you know, it's not magic, but it's still very easy to do. So there's that. And then I also think that, like, this episode would be more powerful if Buffy actually had a conflict with a human being. I'm not saying she should have just killed him, but I am saying, like, if he had just been a human serial killer and she had, like, pushed him down the stairs and they thought he was dead and then he comes back, because that happens all the time in serial killer dramas, like, maybe the climax wouldn't have the same amount of oomph, but I think the episode overall would have benefited more from this is Buffy taking on a non-supernatural enemy. So she has to pull her punches, right? And one of the reasons why I like this episode so much, why I think it deserves more praise than it often gets, is because Mm -hmm. it is trying to explore the limits of Buffy's power as the Slayer. So we see that earlier on when she fights back against Ted, and then she's devastated when she thinks that she's killed him. You know, like, I love the way the episode deals with everything, I just do think the robot aspect of it, I don't know how that got in here. I don't know if the writers were trying to do a pastiche for uh, this type of horror story. I'm not sure if they just needed a science fictional element in there, but, yeah. you know, it's it's the weakest part of this episode. No, I agree with that. And that, that's also something that I was noticing, too, while watching this is like this episode, like I said, it's a step to the side, not back or forward, because mm-hmm. I think it's just a reminder of a lot of themes that we've seen in other episodes. But lately, the episodes have been so like, boom, 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 in terms of action and story and plot building for the season that here's a reminder, like Joyce doesn't listen, <laughs> that Buffy is a teenager, yeah. that her friends don't take her seriously sometimes, that they don't listen, like no one's listening to her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree with you. And just before the episode ends, um, they're all walking into the library and Buffy says that she plans to forget the whole thing ever happened and pick up right where they left off. But as she starts to go through the doors, she freaks out and says, that's it. I give up. Do I have to sound an air horn every time I walk into a room? What is with the grownups these days? And she starts ranting and her and Willow look traumatized and they walk away. Xander and Cordy look through the window uh, of the library and they laugh together and they walk away because Giles and Jenny are inappropriately making out in the library. Absolutely. Teachers should not be kissing, uh, especially not as hot and heavy as Giles and Jenny are. In full view of the students, like, at least go into the stacks, right? That's what the stacks are for. Yeah, that's why <laughs> they exist. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but that ends the episode. So so it looks like everything is back to normal, except that Giles and Jenny are apparently picking up where they left off, and they're going to do it on Saturday night again, <laughs> <laughs> I assume. That's what I read in the subtext there. <laughs> okay. So who is your hero? This was a tough one for me. I wanted to say Xander and Willow and Cordy for like their investigation because, you know, they don't believe Buffy at first, but finally they pull together and they do a lot of the like work and they don't know that Ted's a robot. So like as far as they're concerned, what they're finding is going to exonerate Buffy, which is great. Although, you know, I I will also point out that like if Ted had turned out to be human and a serial killer and Buffy had still killed him the way she did, 
I don't know if that's still enough for self-defense, right? Because he wasn't actually like, like he hit Buffy, right? But that's all he did. And then she hit him back. I don't know if that would be enough to exonerate her. Probably. Again, (laughs) Joyce, if you got a good lawyer for Buffy, you know, use some of that gallery money. Like, yeah, uh, you could probably get your daughter off. But yeah, I don't know. This is a messy episode in that sense. So as far as my hero goes, I'm going to give it to Buffy. And the reason why I'm going to say Buffy is because I think she does incredibly well under some very challenging circumstances. That's a good choice. And um, definitely in if she's representing, you know, abused children in this particular situation, yeah. she's a good one to choose. I would choose Buffy as well, but I want to give it to Cordelia this episode. I, I like what you said about, you know, the gang is, is a group effort here, but really Cordelia rises above because... Willow and Xander didn't believe Buffy and I was enraged with them for most of this episode just because I'm like, guys, your friend is telling you something really serious and you're not believing her for no reason other than that you think she's being emotional or she has parent issues. Mm -hmm. So I've given it to Cordy. She was hilarious. She came through with the research. She figured out the rug thing on the ground using her very special Cordy brain. (laughs) Like, I just, I think she was the hero here. That's fair. I like that. Like, we did pick apart Joyce and how we're frustrated with Joyce and how she doesn't listen to Buffy. And she does get away a little bit in this episode for being drugged (laughs) more than she likes to be drugged, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I just, I think the writers are in a difficult position here because they don't want... Joyce to know that Buffy's the Slayer. So they're kind of forced to make Joyce carry what's called the idiot ball, right? Like Joyce is a less observant and less aware person than she should be. Mm -hmm. So she kind of comes off as an airhead sometimes. And I don't really think that's fair to her character. But it's very, you know, there's only so many times that supernatural shit can happen around Joyce before she's going to find out. And the writers are clearly trying to put that off for as long as possible to get maximum payout here. And it, it's just, it's tough, right? Because it devalues Joyce's character and it puts um, an unnatural strain on Buffy and Joyce's relationship. Well, what I think would have helped on that scene when they're on their porch talking, what they really should have been talking about was... Oh, Joyce should have believed Buffy? Yeah, so the conversation should have been about how Joyce didn't believe Buffy and she's sorry. Yeah. That's what it should have been. It shouldn't have been Buffy listening to her mom and how traumatized she is. It should have been Joyce listening to Buffy for the first time the whole episode. I think that would have helped Joyce's character. And I said at the beginning when we started recording this podcast at season one, I said, liking Joyce is important to me. I want to. And it's not easy to in situations like this episode. But so often in these cases, like in realistic cases, the blame can sometimes be really put on the mother for not knowing that the guy was bad and for not believing their kids. And they take on a lot of the responsibility of the abuse, right, for allowing it to happen. And men will just be asshole men. But like sometimes the blame is put too much on the mother. So I'm I'm trying to come up with that lens as well, where it's like Joyce was being drugged, Joyce was being manipulated, Joyce is lonely, and men prey mm-hmm. on lonely women who are more prone to needing a man in their life. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of elements of that that we didn't dive too far into, but I think the episode is definitely pointing at them. Agreed. Anyway, so it, listeners, if you liked this episode, let us know. Let us know your thoughts, because we have hot stakes. 
<laughs> and we're going to read off some. So our first hot steak is from Courtney. Courtney wrote to tell us something that I found insightful and really exciting. Courtney listened to Inca Mummy Girl and she wrote in to say, I always thought Ampata was the slayer in her time and the males in charge caught wind of this or only heard part of the Slayer lore. So instead of knowing that she fights evil in the world, they sacrificed her and sent her to the netherworld to fight. That would also explain why she can overpower her bodyguard and keep up with Buffy in that final fight scene, which is something that, Kara, you and I had talked about in that episode. So, Courtney, you're a genius. I love <laughs> this idea. I love the idea that Ampata was actually the Slayer and her culture just didn't know what that meant. Yeah. And they used her to sacrifice in a different way and that's why she had all that power. Like, that's that's awesome. I love yeah, that, that that concept. That's, that's cool. I love, like, those little fan theories, right, where you're just kind of filling in these cracks with your own little mortar and I love it. That one's so good. And then we got another one from B. They wrote in after listening to What's My Line Part 1 about Kendra. And they said, Hi, <laughs> was just listening to your new episode when Kara mentioned that you wanted to hear from more Black listeners. And as someone whose family is from Jamaica, I thought I'd weigh in. So Kendra's accent is, to put it simply, terrible. I'm not mad at the actress, but the Jamaican accent is laughable. And she sounded Irish in some parts. <laughs> There's no reason why she couldn't have been American other than maybe Joss wanted to portray her as exotic and mysterious. So he thought, hmm, how do I portray that Kendra doesn't belong here? I know, an accent. <laughs> I have more problems with the character as a whole, namely that she is very light-skinned. Once again, no hate to Bianca Lawson, she's gorgeous, and I myself am mixed heritage, but I think it's very telling that one of Buffy's first, if not the first, named black character is a violent, light-skinned black girl that doesn't know how to interact with society. Then there's a miscellaneous stuff like Buffy mocking Kendra's accent later or the aforementioned societal issues. Ooh, I don't know how to talk to people properly or how to board airplanes. Oh, I respond with violence to the slightest perceived indiscretion. So it's all giving very much savage, angry black women tropes. And in conclusion, ew, Joss Whedon. <laughs> so... B, that was awesome. Thank you so much for sending that in. We totally agree with your take on Kendra, but we're glad that you were able to voice it from your experience and from your own life and your heritage. That's awesome. That's exactly what we wanted. I agree. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I put that call out there because uh, Steph and I always want to hear from listeners who um, share marginalizations with characters on the show that we don't share. Um, you know, we can lay the groundwork and point out, like, obviously, Kendra for significant black character. But, you know, as you said in your message, be pointing out things like issues of how light skinned or dark skinned a black person is. This is, you know, there are nuances here that Steph and I cannot understand because we're not black, uh, or at least we can try to understand but like we're never going to be able to speak to it the way that you and other black people can so thank you so much for writing in and i really invite other black people to write in with your opinions not just about the black stuff on the show right like just in general <laughs> about buffy but especially <laughs> yeah. about the stuff that 
you are more qualified to talk about because of your lived experiences. Yeah. <sighs> okay, one more. One more. So this hot steak is from Deanna, uh, who was commenting on The Dark Age. So the episode just before the two-parter. And Deanna agrees with our commentary on how the Dark Age really shifts Buffy and Giles' relationship. She highlights that, as we were kind of saying before, Buffy really now sees Giles as like a complete person. Mm-hmm. But um, she, she says like, this is a good example of how, you know, you can have a good character who still has flaws, right? And, and she says that even nowadays, she sees a lot of writers confuse flawless with good. That's how you end up with characters like Bella from Twilight. <laughs> Yeah, so Deanna says she appreciates this because it's easier for us to identify with flawed people because we're flawed people too. Um, So then she pivots to talking about, you know, her disappointment with Xander. Uh, And again, it's like, are Xander slanders coming from this place of criticizing Xander's flaws? And Deanna proposes that one of the reasons why we don't respect Xander as much as a character is because the show tries to gloss over his flaws and pretend they don't exist. And she says, my personal theory is that because he was Joss Whedon's self-insert, he was the most stubborn in any changes that might have been suggested for rewriting Xander. And that's interesting, I think. You know, this idea that maybe Joss um, wrote Xander's character in a certain way and didn't really want people to touch it to make Xander a bit more realistic. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Deanna also gives this other example of Jesse. So Jesse was Xander's friend from the pilot, and he gets killed off in the the harvest, and we'd never deal with this again. And Deanna says, imagine how we could have used this for Xander's character development. You know, Xander could have taken this as the motivation to beg Buffy and Giles to teach him how to fight, and he could have like actually turned into a contributing member of the Scoobies. Um, and then, you know, like season two, Deanna says, could focus on his growing hatred of vampires. I just, I'm blown away by this commentary, Deanna, because it's like that would have been such a different arc for Xander. And I know that in the reboot of the Buffy comics, they've also taken Xander in a different direction. They've made him into a vampire. Yeah. I appreciate your imagination, Deanna, because I love it when fans talk about these what-if scenarios, right? What if something different had happened? Or when fans like Deanna fix characters, and it's like, what if they had done this? (laughs) Yeah. I'm impressed, Deanna. I'm very impressed. All right. Thank you, everybody, for sharing your thoughts with us. Thanks so much. Keep sending them. We love them. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.